Well, hello, race fans. Welcome to another edition of the MRT Insider, the Road to Indy Insider podcast. My name is Rob Howden. It is episode number 10. And we are looking now at the event in Toronto. Of course, those streets always so challenging. Uh, some amazing racing. It was rounds 11 and 12 of the Indy Lights Championship, rounds 10 and 11 for Pro Mazda, and rounds 8 and 9 for the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship powered by Mazda. I was supposed to have Steve Wittick from TSO Ladder and Trackside Online with me here tonight, but not able to, to get on the, the, uh, the podcast with me. So we'll move Steve uh, to the event from Mid-Ohio, of course, just a couple of weeks away. Driver's actually testing today as I, uh, as I do the podcast here today and, and tomorrow as well, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, testing for the young drivers in this Mazda Road to Indy. But let's focus and do the breakdown here for the Honda Indy Toronto. The only Canadian race of the season, everybody coming north of the border, to a very technical 1.7-mile, 11-turn layout right on the shores of, uh, shores of Lake Ontario, right in the shadow of the famed CN Tower. Anybody you talk to, they just love coming to this event. They love the track itself. It's very challenging, as we know. The new and the old pavement. They laid down a lot of new pavement on the front straightaway into turn number one this year. That extended the braking zone pretty significantly, raised up the uh, the corner speeds, I think, a little bit. But again, still, with the concrete at all those corners, it's unbelievably slippery. Drivers rolling with lots of speed, pick up a ton of understeer. And then when they get back to the grippy pavement on the other side, of course, they've got to worry about that snap oversteer. That's played a role in a number of incidents in turn number eight. We saw Rex in turn number one. Some massive shunts, of course, at the end of the long back straightaway, Lakeshore Boulevard into turn number three. But all in all, great weekend. Again, everybody loves coming to Toronto. We're right downtown. You know, you can essentially walk to some of the hotels, uh, restaurants everywhere. The hotels are amazing. Everybody loving the atmosphere, loving the hospitality. And I'm really happy as a, as a Canadian who lives about an hour outside of Toronto, Awesome to see the hospitality of everyone there. And in addition, awesome to see the excitement for the road to Indy, the excitement for the Verizon IndyCar Series. The place was packed uh, on Sunday. I was working for IndyCar Radio on Pit Lane. You look up at the grandstands and there was hard, I couldn't see an empty seat, which is huge. I think this momentum is there. We did the autograph sessions on Friday for USF 2000 by themselves on a combined Pro Mazda and Indy Lights autograph session. People were lined up. Everybody was getting a chance to, to meet these young drivers. It was really big, and I'm, I, I'm really happy with it. I think there's lots of momentum. Just Canada, such a great place for this program. Let's jump pre-race uh, as we talk about the Toronto breakdown here on the Road to Indy Insider podcast. Again, episode number 10. I'm solo here today. I know people have given me good feedback on having the media guests in. Not able to get Steve Wittick with us here, but again, I'll make sure that he's locked and loaded uh, for the breakdown of Mid-Ohio. Coming into the race in Indy Lights, Colton Herta arrived with a massive point. Ah, not a massive. Strong 17-point lead. That's pretty big over Pato Award. I can't say massive because Parker Thompson had a bigger one, and Cal Kirkwood in USF 2000 had an even bigger lead. Uh, so Herta comes in with a 17-point advantage over Pato Award, his teammate. Patricio, though, with that momentum, from a dominant weekend at Iowa Speedway. That kind of changed things. And then when you talk mindset, you know that Santiago Uruti in dire need of a big weekend for Bellardi Auto Racing. He's had success in Toronto before, as has Bellardi. They've won there before with Alex Barron, I believe, in 2014. Uh, swept the weekend with Felix Rosenquist as well. Uh, I believe that was 16. So, again, there's opportunities for Bellardi coming in thinking, hey, you know what, we can do well with both Santi Arutia and uh, Aaron Tielitz. In Pro Mazda, as I said, Parker Thompson with a pretty solid advantage. Great start to the season. Was able to get a couple of points on both Renus VK and Carlos Cunha, passing them late in the race at Road America, the last round of the Pro Mazda Championship. So he came in with some momentum, some great top fives, a couple of race wins. And again, for Parker, the Canadian, for the Canadian team, exclusive autosports, the A-team, um, you know, he was coming back home to his home country race where he's had massive success. Three wins in a row, uh, one at the end of 2016, swept USF 2000 to set 2017, 
man, this guy came in figuring it was going to be a great weekend. Those of you who watch the event uh, on roaddnd.tv or any one of the uh, online sources, you know that he did not have the weekend he wanted. And the gap now down to, I think, when the drop is figured in for Pro Mazda, one point, I believe, heading to Pro, uh, to Mid-Ohio. This, uh, this championship definitely up for grabs. Much different as we continue with pre-race here. USF 2000, Kyle Kirkwood absolutely has this title locked up. Uh, even more when his primary challenger, Alex Barron, who is running with Swan RJB Motorsports, they came out and announced that they would not be in Toronto. They will not be campaigning the rest of the season, but would instead be focusing on testing young drivers he- ahead of 2019. That kind of extended the points for Kyle Kirkwood even more. Um, so Kirkwood coming in, lots of momentum, big lead. And uh, as we get jumping here right now into USF 2000, we're going to talk about just how good Kyle Kirkwood is. Okay, moving in. USF 2000 in Toronto. In qualifying, interesting, because let's preface it with they had a meeting on Thursday afternoon with USF 2000 and Pro Mazda drivers uh, with Tony Cotman, who's essentially the, the overall race control official for the road to Indy. And they really sat these kids down and said, hey, guys, this, the way you're driving is unacceptable. It was a closed-door meeting. I have no quotes. I have no idea what was actually said. But in, in understanding the motivation behind this meeting, they were essentially telling these guys, we expect more from you. We expect you to be able to show what you've got. We want to have long races. We want to keep the yellow flag at bay. We're expecting you guys to step up and show more respect. I thought it would have worked out. It didn't. We had a lot of chaos, as we know. In qualifying, race control actually cracking down on drivers who were not slowing down for yellow flags. It's actually a major plague in North American karting right now, especially at the national level, where drivers don't even lift when they see a yellow I love the fact that there's a rule in the rule book that requires your lap times during laps where local yellows have been displayed to be a certain percentage over your fast lap that you've laid down. A number of drivers getting dinged big time. Kyle Kirkwood being one of them. uh, The way everything shook down and qualifying, it ends up putting Dakota Dickerson onto the pole position because when he was coming through that yellow flag, he had his team owner, Brent Borland, on the radio, or rather Greg Borland, saying, slow down, slow down. His engineers tell him to, to speed up, but the code is listening to the team owner, slowed down, didn't get dinged for the penalty. He's on pole. Kyle Kirkwood, though, did get hit, as did Rasmus Lint, as did a majority of the drivers in the field. Another driver having an issue in the opening qualifying session for USF 2000 for exclusive autosports, Igor Fraga had just laid down his first fast lap, first flyer, goes to provisional pole. Of course, the timing line just outside of turn number eight, rolls through turn 10 and 11, loses the rear end, tags the wall, damages the car, can't continue, but pulls off into the runoff. Shame for him, he blocked the runoff. They had to bring the red flag out. He loses his fast lap of the race. His next fastest lap, I believe, a five-minute and 55-second lap. Essentially, his came into an installation lap, went back out. Probably the slowest ever official qualifying lap in the history of the road to Indy. He ends up having to start at the very tail of the field. Uh, That gives him, though, a chance to really impress. And we'll talk about that later. So race number one, uh, Kyle Kirkwood. uh, Tremendous. Great start. Dickerson on the pole. Kirkwood, though, attacks quickly on the green flag. Dives to the inside at turn number one. Takes the lead. And essentially from there, it's Kyle Kirkwood. Dickerson slots into second. We're only three laps in, and there's a really good battle actually going on. I want to say it was for fifth position between Darren Keene and Jose Sierra. Uh, Keene, of course, for Newman Walks Racing, Sierra for D-Force. Sierra had made a great move around the outside of Keene in turn number three. They came back up to four. So as you watch Toronto before, it's that long run down the straightaway, hard-breaking, right-hander. You climb back up the hill to the, to the right, and that's that kink to the left, heading back over to the Cooper Tire corner, which is turn number five. They go into that corner. Keen gives uh, Sierra enough room away. They go through. Uh, I've seen the in car. Uh, Keen follows suit. He goes around the outside of Sierra. They go up the hill. Jose doesn't give him near enough room. Starts to pinch over at turn four, which is really just that kind of kink. Uh, comes across the two interlock wheels. Keen gets through with just some minor damage. Of course, Sierra, boom, throws, you know, kicks the rear wheel, the left rear up and over, like just destroys the rear suspension. He loops around, takes it into the wall. We go full course yellow on lap number three. And again, that's an issue uh, for both of those drivers as 
they fall to the tail of the field. Sierra ends up in 18th. Darren Keene runs 14 more laps to get the car kind of dialed in, but pulls off and finishes 17th position. All right, let's uh, let's look. Everybody kind of settling in, of course. Kirkwood able to walk away to the victory. Uh, there was another yellow. Corey Enders got into the tires in turn number eight, overcooks it into eight. We saw a lot of that this weekend. Um, fast forward to talking about Colton Herta and his injured thumb. That's what happened there as well. There's three laps to go when, when Enders hit. Uh, race ends under yellow. I would love to have seen a, uh, a you know a green-white checker finish. Can't do it. Uh, Kirkwood cruises under the yellow, scores the win, uh, walks away with the victory. Chased all race long, though, by Dakota Dickerson. Um, uh, I've named him my star of the race. I'm actually just picking him right now as I record this, so I have nobody else to tell you. Actually, there's one more star we can talk about. I know who it's going to be. I'm going to throw that up tonight as well. Um, good run for Dakota Dickerson for Arms Up Motorsports. Remember, he's getting an opportunity to drive the Soul Red number nine because uh, Keith Donegan, the Irishman who won the scholarship, the shootout scholarship, is elected to uh, walk away from that scholarship and move over to BN Racing. He had a great success at Road America. But Dickerson comes in to Arms Up, really connects uh, with uh, John Walco, the engineer, uh, and they, they've been great. They were, they, Dakota was getting himself back into where he needed to be uh, when we were at Road America. They tested before coming to Toronto. Uh, Victor Franzoni in the car as well. Victor was working with uh, Dakota. Of course, Victor won some races with Arms Up Motorsports and ran, actually won at Toronto. He, of course, winning Promaza last year and is now running in Indy Lights. Everything just kind of dialed uh, dialed uh, Dakota back in, and man, they were on their game immediately when they got there. So good on it for Dickerson in second, arms up uh, Motorsports as well, uh, getting a good run. And I'll tell you, an excellent battle all race long between Kaylin Frederick and Rasmith Lint in that one. Um, I had said coming in in my in my preview podcast that. Rasmus Lint was a guy I thought you should watch out for, and he did not disappoint whatsoever. Uh, qualified extremely well. I believe he was on pole for uh, for race number two. No, I think he qualified third. Uh, this kid's just good, uh, and he, I, I'm really impressed with what he's been able to do. P4 behind uh, Kalen Frederick. Tremendous run as well in race number one. I, I talked about Igor Fraga. Started well at the back. Uh, Fraga starting in the 17th position. He, of course, takes... I think got four four positions in the opening couple of laps. Takes advantage of the yellow flag with Keen and Sierra to bunch the field back up. He goes to work, re, just works his way back through. Ends up going by his teammate Daniel Frost from Singapore, who had an amazing run as well to eighth, gets seventh spot. Igor Fraga definitely one to watch. I am crossing my fingers he comes back to Pro Mazda. I mean, rather to USF 2000 next year, because if he does, he will be an instant title contender for exclusive autosports. That team uh, really starting to rally around that young driver from Brazil. Okay, let's jump into race number two uh, for USF 2000. Pole sitter Kalen Frederick, great job in qualifying, showing his ability and his his pace. Takes the initial lead at the green flag race number two, of course, on Sunday morning. Crowd starting to roll into the track. Um, but down into turn number three, it got it got wild. Uh, they get in there. Everybody's tr- you know, everybody wants to lead. So Kalen locks the brakes up going into the turn three break breaking zone at the end of Lakeshore Boulevard. They're like a buck fifty. They're rolling some good speed, maybe a buck forty. They're, they're hauling some ass down into turn number three. He overshoots it. Uh, Rasmus Lintz on the outside. He's got nowhere to go. He was wants to turn in, but you know, uh, Kalen's on it. Kalen able to get off the brakes, roll off the brake, and actually gets the car turned. He'd be, probably be able to make it back up to three. But from the inside, here comes Keith Donigan starting on the outside of the front row. Heath says, hey, you know what? He's locking it up. I got this. Keith, he, lo- he carries way too much speed into three. He goes straight into the tires. Not, not a chance he's turning. He's into the tires. Obviously had the wide eyes thinking he was going to get through. And <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Who, cr- who cruises through after qualifying fifth from the outside of turn three? Tucks it in, gets on the brakes. Kyle Kirkwood cruises up, followed by Igor Fraga. They just roll up through. 
Uh, a number of other drivers involved get collected in that one with you know, just nothing they could do. I think uh, call, was call, I think maybe Colin Kaminsky, Lucas Cole got caught up in it at one point, I believe. Um, who else was involved in that? It was just a bunch of drivers that got collected in that, which is absolutely nowhere to go. Uh, Jose Sierra overshoots, didn't get into the wreck. He backs up and is able to continue and actually goes on to finish seventh. I know Dakota Dickerson got spun around as well. A number of drivers. Calvin Ming, I think, too, got collected in that one. Uh, it was tough. It was just, uh, you never want to see that for these guys. You want to have a clean race. Just didn't happen. So they get it all cleaned up. We go back to, to Green Flag Racing, and I'll tell you, we got a battle. Igor Fraga goes at Kyle Kirkwood. Awesome run on the restart. Takes him in turn number three. And he goes on to lead a ton of laps. He's running the defensive line where he needs to, down into three. Kirkwood does everything he can around the outside. Surprised me with the aggression he showed. He didn't take any low percentage uh, moves. So it's not like he was rolling the dice, but he kept trying the outside of uh, Fraga. Wasn't able to make it work. Finally able to get the job done. He goes into uh, he goes into the lead and boom, from there, pulls away. Kirkwood out to another major advantage and would, of course, go on to get the victory. Uh, great run for Igor Fraga. Uh, as he runs into the second spot, uh, Daniel Frost, he made it through the wreck as well. So exclusive Autosport had guys running first and third for a, new, a, a long portion of that race. But the guy that was coming on strong was Rasmus Lint. Rasmus was able to get out of that incident, started the tail of the drivers who continued, which I believe I want to say was 14 or 15 drivers were able to continue. He raced his way forward, was an absolute boss, turns the fast lap of the race, a 110.985. And eventually was able to get by Daniel Frost for the final position on the podium. I think it was a big one uh, for Rasmus Lint as he was able to really show that he can come from the back. He showed that he could make the uh, the passes. He's going to head to uh, mid-Ohio in a week's time with an absolute ton of momentum and a ton of confidence. So keep your eye again. I keep saying it, on Rasmus Lint. He could be a driver to, to, to watch for the race win. Uh, when we get to mid-Ohio. Again, as I said, good run for Daniel Frost. He ends up in fourth. Julian Vandervaart as well for Team Pelfrey. Uh, he was able to come through uh, the wreck alongside uh, Bruta Tomaselli, his teammate at um, uh, at Team Pelfrey, and gets a well-deserved fifth-place finish. Dakota Dickerson in sixth as well. Lots of wrecks here and there. And again, good. I'll give good props. First top 10 as well for Oscar uh, Deluzuriaga from uh, Newman Walks Racing. Deserved a, a, a really good run. Showed good pace. Oscar continuing to get faster and faster. And again, I'm working on that last name as well for Oscar. He's got me dialed in, which is good. So again, that's your run through USF 2000 championship. Uh, essentially all but wrapped up uh, for Kyle Kirkwood. The guy just has a massive advantage right now over Kalen Frederick. He knows it's 131 points right now. He knows that I think he, if he wins, I think even one race, I think he has to get about 31 or 35 points or something like that. He'll lock, lock out the rest of the field. Uh, he needs to have a good run at Mid-Ohio, and he'll be heading to Portland knowing that he'll be standing on the stage at the awards banquet come Monday evening uh, and getting that scholarship from John Doonan. So it's uh, it's been a great run for Kyle Kirkwood. A couple of wins again. He extends his championship lead. Kalen Frederick currently second. Igor Frog of third. Rasmus Lint in, in fourth. Those three drivers looking for the second position in the championship standing separated by just seven points. Uh, three very impressive drivers looking to fight it out for the runner-up position in the championship battle. Okay, Pro Mazda. Move the sheets here. Actually, one more thing. Uh, good battle here in the team championship right now as well. Uh, Paps Racing winning it last year, but Kate Motorsports, of course, just with the one driver. Just with uh, with Kyle Kirkwood, they are leading by four points, trying to win that team title back as well. Uh, I, I'm excited to see how that kind of all shakes down uh, when we get to, to Portland. Let's jump into Pro Mazda right now because first and foremost, tremendous qualifying effort laid down by Renus VK from Honkos Racing. Came in well behind Parker Thompson in the points and just went out and absolutely owned both qualifying runs. That said... Like Igor Fraga, he got into the wall in the final circuit uh, in his first qualifying run. Ends up, again, going off the 
um, escape road, just like Igor did, but it was the final lap of the race. No need to go red because it was the last lap. He dodged a major bullet there. Uh, and then again, was able to start on the pole position and we can just say it straight up. He was able to walk away to the race win, fast lap of the race, full points. Renus VK, tremendous, exactly the weekend he wanted to get uh, when he rolled up to Toronto. But probably the biggest wreck we've seen in Pro Mazda in a long time, if not ever. Uh, it was on TSN, the local, uh, or not the local, the, the leading Canadian, one of the leading Canadian sports uh, stations. Uh, there was a guy that had the shot from turn three as we had a major wreck coming into turn three, end of the straightaway. Uh, essentially what happened, Harrison Scott has a rough qualifying effort. He is on a mission coming through turn number one, gets in the side of Robert McGinnis. He goes off into the wall in turn one. They go down the straightaway. Uh, Harrison trying to get to the inside of exclusive autosport driver Antonio Saravalli coming uh, into the braking zone. There was... He was trying to thread the needle first and foremost. I saw the in-car for Antonio Cervalli. His hands never moved, but there's kind of that nipple there, the kind of edge before it opens up when you come into the braking zone. The two of those drivers touch wheels. Uh, essentially, Harrison up over, kind of gets shot up in the air, breaks all four corners, cannot stop, of course, zero stopping power going into the braking zone. He this absolutely launches into Stingray Rob over top of him, the full ramp, you know, a nice 180-degree barrel roll, landing on his head, 15 feet in the air, absolute chaos. It took us off guard. Michael Young and I blown away and <laughs> just weren't sure how to call it uh, because it just happened so fast. We didn't have the best angles on it either. We didn't know who it was. Uh, later on, we would find out that it indeed was Harrison Scott. The crash afterward collected a number of different drivers. Uh, Stingray Rob was involved. He got driven over. Uh, I think Parker Thompson able to get through cleanly. Uh, and again, uh, Antonio Cervalli, nowhere to go either coming into the, the corner trying to get through. And he gets into the back of Stingray Rob, who was, of course, uh, sidelined right there in turn three uh, when he got driven over. Big takeaway from the whole thing was the fact that the AMR IndyCar safety team was on site and rolling. Uh, I think Johnny Unser, he rode uh, the, the Pro Mazda race control. The race director posted his Facebook page. I've seen the video elsewhere, but you can see Harrison in the air. He lands. Cars are still coming through. Of course, the, the full course yellows have now come out. They didn't. They were on their way out because of the wreck for Robert McGinnis. The AMR safety team was already on the site for McGinnis in turn one. Corner workers were trying to get the full course yellow out when this all happened. Before the cars, final cars were even through. Uh, I believe the final car coming through there uh, would have been Charles Finelli. He's just starting to come through. There's an AMR safety team guy already running towards Harrison Scott. Immediately the truck rolls. We didn't go red because they were there on the scene and realized that that Harrison was good. Um, that's the biggest takeaway, the fact that the AMR IndyCar safety team was there, but also that Harrison Scott was fine. Uh, great young guy. Um, I've come to know him and, and chat with him in the paddock. Uh, I like his fire. I like his the way he, uh, you know the way he t approaches uh, the sport. Great to have him here with us. And the bottom line was they were able to fix the car, get him back on track for race number two. It didn't go well. He was out early, but nonetheless, the RP Motorsports Racing Team. Wow, props to them. Burning the midnight oil on uh, Saturday night to make sure their driver could get back on track. So we go back to racing. Uh, go back to green. VK rolls out, and what could we'll look back at depending on how things shake down as one of the weird parts of the not weird one of potentially a turning point in the season, or at least a season uh, a situation that really amped up the championship battle. And that was on the restart. I think second lap back around David Malukas taking a big dive bomb to the inside of turn number one on Parker Thompson. It was definitely too late. Uh, Parker was already turned in already at the apex. David just drove right into the side of them. They went straight off into the wall. Um, David Malukas ends up getting a, a five-point uh, penalty on, in the championship. Uh, they get a 30-second on, on-site penalty. He ended up on probation. I thought he was already on probation, but again, on probation, supposedly. Um, and, but the, the biggest thing is, is it was a massive shunt for Parker Thompson. Major internal damage to the gearbox and the engine itself. Damage with the diffuser, bodywork, suspension parts, a huge bill uh, to Parker, which really has hurt him. Now, 
Parker's surrounded by some pretty awesome people in terms of sponsors and supporters. And uh, here's a kid that obviously has shown the ability to just dig in and get the job done. Um, I think I'm hoping, I know everybody's hoping in the paddock that uh, Parker's able to co- continue and able to get what he needs to kind of handle that crash damage bill. Cause it was, it, I heard what it was. It's I'm not liberally liberty to say because I don't have the official number, but it was massive. Uh, it was, it was up there. So he's going to do what he can to get back. He comes back again on Sunday struggles again. Uh, Parker ends up with an eighth place finish um, after the incident uh, because of the wreck early wreck knocked out so many guys, then is able to come back out. And I think he was seventh, uh, no, an eighth again in race number two would have been ninth, but, Carlos Cunha goes off late in race number two, moving him up a spot. So Parker Thompson takes a major hit in the championship. When it's all said and done, uh, he ends up actually leaving with a seven-point lead, but with the drop. Now, Pro Mazda's getting one drop this year. They dropped their worst race, uh, and that's going to bring it down to one point heading to mid-Ohio. We're uh, we're fired up for a, a heck of a battle. Now, Renus VK gets the victory. The battle further back, though, Carlos Cunha had a pretty good uh, run in, in second position. He had Oliver Askew and Nikita Lestoshkin trying to put some battle, some pressure on him. David Belukas was in the fight there as well um, early, as we said, because he was able to uh, – he was, I believe – no, he was out too. That's another race. Um, Lestoshkin and, and Askew having a good run, battling with Carlos Cunha for a little bit. They were running hardcore uh, for – the, the third and the fourth spots. But the primary issue that shakes down there is that they had to watch out for a charging Raul Guzman. Uh, the RP Motorsport driver was able to catch up to them, passes first Nikita, then goes by Oliver and is able to grab third position. He's going to be my star of the race. I, I was really impressed with Raul, essentially only his third race in Pro Mazda and uh, put on a, a pretty damn good show uh, working his way up into third spot. All right, that, that's race number one. Unbelievable chaos. Everybody's working like a dog afterwards, getting everything done in the, in the paddock. Of course, exclusive autosport, getting Parker's car back together, RP Motorsport working on their car. Uh, a lot of damage to cars. Team Pelfrey, of course, as well. Uh, a lot of damage in that initial incident. And, of course, the wreck between David Malukas and Parker Thompson as well. So let's move to race number two for Pro Mazda. Uh, simply put, another essential runaway uh, for Renus VK as he's able to stretch out. Now, the huge shunt uh, came early in the race. Uh, there was some pretty hardcore racing uh, between, I want, it was like Chris Wright, and I think Stingray Rob was in there, and Cunha, and Gutierrez, and Raul Guzman, and they're all battling away uh, coming through turn 8, 9, and 10. Guzman just gets a little bit wide coming out of the corner on lap number two, and he absolutely hammers the outside wall, turn 11. Wasn't the only guy to do this. As we've already said, Fraga did it. Um, VK did it in the Verizon IndyCar Series race. There was a couple of drivers that did it as well, including uh, Joseph Newgarden while leading. Just get, get the car a little wide, get out in the marbles. The thing starts to, to, to rotate a bit. Hard uh, right rear hit, and it ended up, stopping right in front of Michael Young and I in the PA booth, uh, just on the outside of the racetrack, just before start finish. And it essentially cracked the car in half. It split right at the, the gearbox and the engine, major damage to the car um, of Raul Guzman. I'm not sure if we'll see him back in mid Ohio as a result, but nonetheless, a pretty big wreck, long cleanup because a lot of fluid had, uh, had come down on, on the track. They were able to get that cleaned up. Uh, it was actually 10, uh, seven laps in total. We go to back to green on lap number 10. It becomes a timed race. We only end up getting 32 laps in the books. But really, behind Renus VK, we saw an absolutely intense battle for second uh, for the longest time. Robert McGinnis was able to hold on to the spot. He goes in full defense mode, meaning running down the inside of turn one, running down the inside of three, inside of five, inside of eight. What that does is, of course, when you're on the inside, you can't carry the same corner speed. You lose all the exit speed. It stacked up everybody. McGinnis, Malukas, Carlos Cunha. And then, of course, Oliver Askew arrives on the scene. And then Nikita Lestoshin gets there as well. Stingray Rob was closing too. It was that good uh, as they were kind of working their way forward. Now, the driver of that race, uh, for sure driver of the race, 
Oliver Askew. Man, he just, all of a sudden, he went to work and just started going by, guys. Boom, boom, working his way forward and got a well-deserved second-place finish. Very impressed uh, with Oliver Askew as he was, again, able to, uh, to score a, a strong run uh, to second position. Rinus VK, yeah, you know I don't like giving stars to the races for guys who qualify on pole and go go away winning. He's got enough kudos as it is. But, yeah, Rinus dominated the weekend, didn't put a wheel wrong. Good for him. Championship's going to be a lot of fun now uh, as we have just five more races remaining. It's the two races at Mid-Ohio, the Oval at Gateway, and we wrap it up at uh, Portland International Raceway. But for Oliver Askew, great recovery for that team. And all in all, a strong outing uh, for Cape Motorsports. They needed it. They win both races in USF 2000 uh, with Kyle Kirkwood. They finish in fourth and fifth with Askew and Nikita Lestoshkin in race one. Second and fourth with Oliver and Nikita in race number two. Big one for Cape Motorsports. Um, they needed that kind of momentum for sure. McGinnis still holds on. He was, after Oliver got by and kind of took off trying to, to chase down uh, VK and, in fact, turning fast lap of the race in the process, he comes up uh, a half a second short as there was a late race um, caution for Carlos Cunha, and he knows it into turn eight. That set up a, essentially a two-lap battle at the end. VK just took off. Oliver pushed him, chased him, but just came up short. It was McGinnis who had to go on full defense again, trying to hold off Nikita Lestoshkin, who was all over the rear of uh, his bumper, not able to get the job done. Lestoshkin finishes fourth. Chris Wright rounding out the top five. A lot of chaos in that one, too. Tough to see uh, drivers uh, out of the race. There was an issue with uh, Antonio Saravalli again. So the young driver who comes to his home race from nearby Unionville just didn't get any kind of the weekend he wanted. Scott was out early as was Gutierrez uh, after damage uh, that he got in the contact with Guzman. It was tough for a lot of drivers. And again, again, early out was David Malukas because he was putting a lot of pressure. He was the one that was actually putting the most pressure on McGinnis uh, before Oliver Askew came calling. Let's look at championship now for Pro Mazda. Where are we? 30 minutes. I don't want to go an hour. This, this one. I'm glad you guys are tuning in. I appreciate it. Again, we'll get Steve Wittick on the next breakdown after Mid-Ohio. Again, Parker Thompson comes into Mid-Ohio with a seven-point overall lead. It's only one point after the drop. Really only about five or six drivers still in the uh, mathematical championship battle. Thompson, VK second, Carlos Cunha in third, Oliver Askew fourth, Harrison Scott fifth, Stingray Rob now sixth. Stingray quite a ways back. You got to still think Harrison's still in there. But still, he's a massive amount of points back as well. Still back by about 74 markers. But again, anybody could go on a streak. You win five races in a row, then things are you know still wide open. As I said, VK closes within a point. A huge hit for Parker Thompson, but he will bounce back. Looking good already uh, in testing at Mid-Ohio. And then we said six drivers remaining in the hunt, which is five races remaining. All right. I like this, man. Road to Indie Insider Podcast, the Toronto Breakdown. My name is Rob Howden. Thank you so much for either listening to me on Podbean or, of course, uh, subscribing to the iTunes. Hope you enjoy the podcast. I give you something to listen to on the way to work, the way home from work, working in the garage on the weekend, whatever it is. All right, let's go Indie Lights. Tough. You know, it's a seven-car field. It's tough. I, I field a lot of questions from people about what's going on. Uh, behind the scenes on Indy Lights. What are they doing for next year? It has been broken a little bit, and I think they're planning a press conference for Mid-Ohio, but essentially there's new team incentives coming out. They're talking to the IndyCar teams to see what they can do. Uh, there's efforts being made to make it make it more affordable, the parts more affordable. A lot of news is going to come out, but I think everybody knows something needs to be done. I have heard it's, again, unofficial at this point, but that Carlin will be back next year. I think that's great because they provide, I believe, a conduit for some of the drivers in uh, in in Europe. And I think when they bring a couple of drivers over, more people look and say, hey, Carlin's got guys coming over. Let's have a look at this series. Because indeed, it, the bottom line is, if you're running F2 or F3, you it is ma- you, have, you either got to have a magic hand, you have to have the right guy looking at you and managing you, or you have to have a ton of money to be able to make it to F1. It's virtually impossible. You come to the Verizon IndyCar Series, you'll probably, it, it doesn't cost, it's fractions, uh, but minor percentage points, pennies on the dollar 
to be able to run a Verizon IndyCar series in uh, program in compared to a full, um, a full Formula One effort. So, you know, again, it's it's just trying to get the mindset changed of some of these really strong drivers in F2. Once they take a deep breath and realize they're not going to F1, they're not getting that shot. They got to rally everybody around them. And we'll see them either coming back. F3 guys coming to Indy Lights. F2 guys coming to Indy Lights. Heck, Max Chilton came from F1. He went to Indy Lights, got his feet wet, and then jumped into the IndyCar program. And I think that's an absolutely excellent way to do it. And I'm hoping that we see some of those drivers jump into Indy Lights in 2019, 2020. Overall, a couple of cautions in race number one. Uh, again, late in the race, as we saw Colton Herta have trouble uh, over in turn number five. First and foremost, uh, qualifying. He was on his game for sure, as was Pato Award. Uh, you know, good qualifying efforts for Santia Rutia. Bellardi showed well. Tough one for Colton Herta. In qualifying, uh, again, he ends up getting into the wall, or rather overcooking turn eight into the tires like many drivers have on the weekend and hurts his wrist. And we didn't find out about it until Saturday that there was an issue with the wrist. Uh, I want to say a fracture of his thumb, displaced flat, non-displaced flat fracture of his thumb, I believe. Definitely not a doctor, but again, the pain was there. The pain was real. Um, he tried to tough it out uh, in race number one, uh, chasing Pato Award and ends up losing the steering wheel. The in-car camera we saw was crazy up and over the curb, hands come off the wheel, probably really potentially just using one hand, the other just kind of there uh, with the pain that he had. He ends up going off in turn five, exactly where Joseph Newgarden went off a couple of years ago after his wreck uh, in Texas. It's a hard corner, that Cooper Tire corner. You're really trying to get the car to rotate, pounding that uh, what is a pretty, a pretty high curb coming through there. Uh, and... Tough one for Colton Herta. He goes out on lap number 22, injures the wrist even more, ends up only doing enough laps to get a, some points, salvage some points in race number two. A hit for sure for Colton Herta. He'll be healed up. They expect enough by mid-Ohio. Again, the guy's looking looking at the IndyCar program for 2019. That's what he's thinking. You got to think macro, not micro. Thinking long game. And uh, you got to make sure that wrist is going to heal correctly. Uh, that opens the door for Pato Award, though. He actually was just flawless, just like he was um, in Iowa a couple of weeks ago when he swept the weekend on the oval to take the point lead. He extends that point lead in race number one, uh, winning but getting chased the entire time uh, by Santi Arutia. Santi was continually trying to chase him down. Did have another wreck late in the race, though, that we ended up finishing under yellow as uh, the 23 of Victor Franzoni goes off. And that's that's a storyline that that I think if anybody's been a fan of the road to Indy for any number of years, it's really tough to follow this story for Victor Franzoni and Hunkos Racing. Here's a young man, cannot afford a wreck, simply can't afford it, hasn't had one. You know, the minor issue with Aaron Tielitz, in race number uh, two at St. Petersburg, but backs it up and continues on. These cars are expensive when you wreck them hard. And uh, in turn five, essentially Victor doing exactly the same thing uh, that happened to uh, uh, Colton Herta. And I'm, I'm just, I'm stumbling over it because it's hard for me to, to, it's hard for me to describe it and talk about it because it's tough for, for Victor Franzoni. He gets an op, he wins in USF 2000 with Arms Up Motorsports in Toronto. Gets this opportunity through Jeff Green, who we tragically lost recently as well. And that was what makes it even tougher. Jeff was a major supporter of Victor Franzoni and was going to be there to help, I believe, I'm told, his Indy Lights program. Uh, very likely with crash damage because Victor and his father, there's no money there. There's simply no money. Now the, the scholarship from Mazda is tremendous, $800,000, but that doesn't pay for the full program. It, it pays for the program, but it's not going to pay for travel. It's not going to pay uh, for, um, you know, for crash damage. And that's part of the issue that they're having, I think with Indy lights and people wanting that scholarship to be worth 1.4. 1.3 or pay for travel, provide the driver with a minor salary or whatever it may be, uh, have it pay for, ha- have a crash damage uh, slush fund that you can work from if you have to, but if you don't, it goes back to Mazda, whatever it may be. 
I'm sure those are thoughts that people are bringing up, but um, Victor Rex as well. Race ends up under yellow. Patricio ends up uh, winning the race. Solid run for Pato, uh, Pato Award. Santi Ruti with a strong second. And Ryan Norman, great run for Ryan in third. The crazy thing about the race itself, let's talk more about the, the kind of tone of the race. Remember, it was kind of starting to sprinkle, and we were getting the wet weather, and it was tough. That's when we're seeing drivers have trouble. You know, we got drivers spinning like crazy. Santi spun. Uh, I'm not sure if Aaron spun or not, you know, uh, Victor, of course, having trouble in the wet, just pushed off uh, when the, the track got super wet. Just you know, the car just pushed off. With those unbelievably challenging conditions, we never went the full wet. We never saw anybody come in and put the wets on because there was a dry line kind of developing at the end. It was it was just it was odd. It was a very odd session. Um, again, Santi spinning, able to get back around, get going. The one driver who kept his head about him, not just Pato Award, but Ryan Norman. Showing the maturity. He's he's a driver. Again, he doesn't have the experience that a lot of these guys have. Um, and he impressive. You know, we talked about it a lot on the IndyCar radio broadcast. This is a young guy uh, who continues to get better, work on the craft. And he showed me that there was a patience level, maturity level there in that race. He had no issues and was rewarded with a very strong third place finish. Nonetheless, sprinkles, rain, slipping and sliding, guys spinning out. I think Aaron Tillis did have one spin as well over in turn number eight. That's where Santi went around. Turn five, collecting both Colton Herta and Victor Franzoni. As we jump into race number two, that's where the Franzoni story really doesn't really get odd. It gets real. And they first had a chance to talk to him on IndyCar radio. It started in qualifying for race number two. I went over and Victor essentially told me, hey, you know, we're, we're going to hold our tires. He, he wasn't tell, saying anything. But they went out, did a couple laps, wasn't able to put down a magic lap. All he was thinking about the entire time was, don't wreck the car, I can't afford it. Um, there's already a major crash bill from from race number one, a major crash bill. Um, probably right around the same amount of the crash bill that Parker Thompson had. More damage to Parker's car, less damage to, light, uh, to the lights car for Franzoni. But we all know how expensive those cars are. And as they should be, they're bad fast. It's going to be expensive. Uh, when you want that speed, speed costs money. But Victor Franzoni's looking at this, you know, mid to high five-figure crash damage invoice and saying, what do I do? Team owners saying, hey, we got to get this crash damage handled. We, you know, we can't go out there and, and rack it up. And I get it. You're a team owner. Ricardo Junco's is saying, this has got to get taken care of. This is not something that I, you know, I'm not going to eat it. That's not the way this works. And I zero blame because this is a this is a business. Um, but Victor in such a tough spot goes out, runs three or four laps to start race number two, pulls it in and parks it. Head's not in it. All he's thinking about is the fact, and in the interview, and it's it was gutting that he's saying, I, you know, I can't bankrupt my family. I can't bankrupt myself. I can't I can't wreck this car and then have to spend the next 10 to 20 years of my life somehow trying to pay. Ricardo Hunkos for what I owe him on, a, on the initial invoice and more. So again, part of the reality of motorsports is that it's expensive. I don't care if you're uh, racing a cart at your club or you're a national level cart or whatever it may be, but uh, it's expensive. And whatever your financial status is, however much money you make or your family makes, uh, there's somebody out there that can't afford what you're doing. And that's really where it is right now. There's a lot of families that have the backing, have the wherewithal to run Indy Lights. And if there's wrecks, they can pay for the wrecks. And that's just, the, that's, that's the way of the world. There are people with cash or families with money. There are some with that don't have that. So tough for Victor to see him have to pull off early. Colton Herta comes in with the injured wrist, does a couple of laps, parks it. Victor comes in early. He goes back out and does two more laps. Of course, Colton, not happy at all with having to do that. I talked to father Brian on IndyCar radio and he said straight up, listen, we got to think about next year. We got to think about the safety of my son. He's pissed at him because he wouldn't let him race. But Brian says, I'm pulling the dad card. You're parking the car. We're going to get you healthy. We're going to go to mid Ohio. You can fight back for the championship, but you know, team co-owner uh, Steinbrenner, George Michael Steinbrenner is saying, I agree. We got things to do next year. And you know, George is a, as a, as a smart young guy, uh, he's got his eyes on doing whatever he can with Colton moving forward. There could be a Steinbrenner racing uh, effort. Probably going to team with somebody next year, but they got to think long game. 
They got to think about making sure that Colton's good to go for next year, doesn't injure the wrist even more. And to be honest, he's going to be challenged. Pato had a great weekend, a couple of uh, couple of podiums, a race win in a second. Uh, and I think that all in all, we'll see if Colton steps it up over the next five races to see if he can't fight uh, to the end as well. That said, Santi Rutia arrives back on the scene with a massive race win in race number two. He's able to get the lead. Uh, starts on the pole after a great qualifying run earlier in the day. Runs away to a 1.2 second advantage. He, Patricio Ward, and Aaron Tielitz never separated by more than a couple seconds, three seconds the entire race long. They put all in great races. Uh, fast time actually goes to Aaron Tielitz, showing good pace for Bellardi Auto Racing. They get a 1-3 for a team that has battled. Uh, you know, Santi Rutia has been very vocal in the fact that uh, he's upset uh, that they have been essentially chasing the Andretti Autosport team for a majority of the year. Uh, they came out strong uh, here in Toronto and capped it off with a couple of good runs. Uh, Santi Rutia getting the victory. Very happy with that. Patricio Ward in second. Very smart run to P2 uh, as he now, uh, of course, heads with a pretty nice little lead of about 18 points, I believe, heading uh, to mid-Ohio on the double header. Uh, Santi Ruti, though, still most definitely in the points now, back by only 40, going to a track where he is extremely good. He has not finished outside the top two in the last four Indy Lights races. Last two years, remember, he has been unbelievably good. Um, swept the weekend two years ago for Schmidt-Peterson uh, Motorsports. He split the race wins with Nico Jamin last year. Uh, when Santi was racing for Bellardi Auto Racing and finished second to Jamin. Here's a guy that's going to go into mid-Ohio with a ton of confidence, momentum off a race win. He's only 40 points back. Remember, points and a half for Gateway Motorsports Park, where Santi won last year as well. Yuruti is not out, and I think he knows he's got the momentum. I think this is going to be a great championship coming down the pipe. 40 points. Santi's going to gain a ton back if he's able to win Gateway. This thing's not over at all. And again, we go hardcore at a, these uh, five more races. All it takes is one incident up front, and everything's blown wide open. Well, that's my Toronto breakdown. Would like to have had Steve Wittick. I know my voice for an entire 47 minutes so far. It's a lot. I appreciate you tuning in. I. Uh, we're loving this podcast. Thank you so much for those of you who have uh, subscribed on iTunes. Uh, please do me a favor. Jump onto iTunes. Give me a rating. Uh, give me the five star if you like it. Three if you're okay. If you're just okay, I want some feedback. Send me a message. Send me a tweet uh, at MRTI underscore insider at Rob Howden. Follow me on uh, Instagram as well at Rob Howden Racing. And of course, we have the Road to Indy Insider page on Facebook. Great ways to be able to stay in touch with what we're doing. I do appreciate those of you who hopped on and uh, followed my Twitter. I think we, we added about 100 Twitter followers uh, coming into Toronto. I appreciate that. Hoping to hit 700 or more as we head to Mid-Ohio. Lots of great stuff uh, coming for the Mazda Road to Indy. Uh, I think for me, big things going into the, the 2019 season these new teams coming in. Man, I'm excited. Jay Howard's coming in. I expect to see the uh, Abel Racing come in as well. Jacob Abel and his family team coming in. Uh, waiting for the official announcement that uh, Jack Miller uh, will be making the move from F4 to USF 2000 this year as well. A lot of new drivers uh, testing as well for teams at Mid-Ohio right now. So I'm bullish that we're going to see 30 cars in the 2019 program. I expect to see minor growth, 10 to 15 to 20% growth in ProMaz as well, meaning I think we'll see 16 to 18 cars uh, coming into that program as the number of drivers are showing interest. I don't have any thoughts on Indy Lights in terms of next year. I'm not sure if uh, this is something they can turn around immediately. If Carlin comes back, uh, they're somehow able to get some interest going and Pelfrey gets a couple of cars, Hunkos gets a couple of cars. Remember, the cars are out there for us to go back to 16. It's not going to be that hard. Uh, Carlin potentially coming back, as I said. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of news that that Sam Schmidt really would like to get back in the program. And I think one of the other guys, and this is this is just, of course, intel I've been getting from the paddock, 
Uh, Larry Foyt's been very uh, focused on looking at the program as well, not just to develop drivers. And I think that's the key when we're talking about Indy Lights and the entire program. You're not just developing drivers when you have an Indy Lights program, if you're an IndyCar, series, uh, IndyCar team. You're developing staff. And that's, a, and that's a pretty big deal. You can run a two-car team um, in Indy Lights, especially if you already have the shop and the space and some of the manpower already in place, some of the infrastructure I, I think you could probably run an, a two a two car Indy Lights team for right around the two million mark. Uh, you know that's not even that's not really even probably a third of an Indy car series. Well, you can do that if you have that extra capital and you can get in there and you can bring a couple of drivers in and run that run that team for an affordable budget. You are doing yourself a service in terms of training anybody from from staff from mechanics to engineers to managers to social media to PR. It's a lot of opportunity to train people moving forward. And for team, for some of the other teams like Coin or like uh, ECR at Carpenter Racing or uh, like Foyt, where there is sometimes trouble trying to find really good engineers. You know, you know, somebody might get good and they end up getting poached away by an Andretti or a Penske or a Ganassi, one of the bigger teams. You get yourself in there to the Indy, Car- or the, the Indy Lights program that's your farm team. You're growing guys up. You're bringing guys up out of your farm that have worked with your systems. That I think is going to be one of the big things for Indy Lights. That's where I think they need to focus in terms of the positive nature of having that Indy Lights team. Otherwise, I like what's going on for 2019. Uh, yep. Got to think we're going to be heading back to Mazda, or rather to WeatherTech Laguna, <laughs> Laguna Seca. I apologize. Mazda Road or the Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca just ingrained into my head. Uh, WeatherTech, Laguna Seca. I think we'll be back there potentially for the finale with the IndyCar program in late September. I'd like to go back there. I love the place. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to Portland. Other than that, I'm not sure what new venues we're going to see, but again, that's another podcast down the line. I appreciate you listening in, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to this Road to Indy Insider podcast. It was the breakdown of Toronto Again, I apologize for Steve Wick not being able to join us. I'll make sure I track him down, get him in front of a computer for the breakdown from Mid-Ohio. We'll have the preview of Mid-Ohio as well coming uh, late Thursday. Give you something to listen to on the way to the racetrack or before you tune in to all the action from all three levels of the road to Indy. I'll do the intel, work the paddock on Thursday, get the uh, get the podcast to preview out quickly. I'm going to knock it down to about a half an hour, 20 minutes to half an hour. I'm not going to go as deep into it. Uh, for that one, these preview or these reviews obviously taking a little longer. But again, I do appreciate you tuning in. Go to iTunes, give me a rating. Thank you so much, folks. All feedback through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Thank you so much. I'm Rob Howden. Bye for now. <laughs>